Excuse me? Cal, your husband. I saw him today. We had a nice chat. You went to my house? Yeah. Oh, it's very nice. So you guys met in Vietnam, huh? You have family there? No. My parents died when I was little. Oh, an orphan. That makes sense. How so? Well, people who wear masks are driven by trauma. They're obsessed with justice because of some injustice they suffered, usually when they were kids. Ergo, the mask. It hides the pain. I wear the mask to protect myself. Right, from the pain. So, did nuns murder your parents? Or were you raised by nuns after your parents were murdered? I, no judgment. I used to dress up and fight bad guys, too. <laughs> that, my friends, is from last night's episode of Watchmen. That was the insurmountable Lori Blake trading barbs with Sister Knight as they rode off to the Millennium Clock. Oh, boy, did we get a lot of information in last night's episode. But first, let's do what we do best. Uh, that's where I just talk about the show. Welcome to issue 52 of 3 Bezine Presents Popcast, a.k.a. the Tomcast Popcast. And I am Tom. Please follow us on the major social medias, Twitter at TomCast underscore podcast and at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you are so inclined, feel free to write us a lovely email at TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. That's right. We're back for another Watchmen Spectacular. We're talking about episode four of Watchmen titled, If You Don't Like My Story, Write Your Own which is a quote from the Chinua Chibe novel, Things Fall Apart, a novel I have read twice and liked it very, very much. Uh, so that was kind of cool to see that quote pop up in there. We had a lot of information with this episode. Um, you know, we still have the central mystery of, of who murdered... Oh, I, I still don't know if I want to say who murdered, who got murdered, because, I, I, you know, maybe not everybody's listened, watched the show just yet. But the central murder is still the main mystery of the show, but we are building on that mystery as we continue to get introduced to more characters, as we continue to get introduced to a bigger world, and we see more parts of this kind of global conspiracy happening all around us. Uh, the, I should mention for, uh, I should mention this episode is directed by, directed by Audrey Parquet. I hope I said that correctly. Written by Damon Lindelof and Crystal Henry. And, uh... Like I said, tons of information. What is... Well, it's hard to say what's most important, but this episode starts off, and we get uh, we get to see some more eggs. Eggs are starting to play a bit of a theme here in, in the show, or at least a, a recurring element in the show. Uh, we start out on the Clark Acre farm, and they, you know, one of those places, it's a, it's a farm, they, they sell eggs outside of their house, you know, the freshest eggs you can get. And this is where we are introduced to Lady True, played by Hong Chao. I hope I said her name correctly. Lady True shows up at the Clark's door in the middle of the night with an offer. She wants to buy their, their, their house and their land, and she's not going to do it with money. Well, there is money involved, but she's going to do it by giving them the one thing they've never been able to get for themselves. Uh, this is a, a couple married. They, the Clarks uh, do not have a child, have not been able to conceive a child. 
They went to a fertility clinic. Nothing good came of it. But now Lady True shows up with a baby for the family. But they have to sign very, very quickly or else that's, uh, that offers off the table immediately. This scene opens up and um, it's, it's before the events of the series. What we're seeing is prior to the first episode because what happens is after the transaction's made, the Clarks are given their baby and we, sit, we step out of the house and we see up in the sky something is crashing into orbit. We don't know what it is. It crashes in Tulsa, presumably at the site of another element of the show. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But as, it kind of, as the camera kind of pans and we see the acreage of land, the parcel of land that Lady True has now just bought from the Clark family, um, time speeds up and we see what is built on that parcel of land. And it is the downtown Tulsa area where our protagonist, where Angela Abar has her bakery slash superhero hideout. This is also the same bakery where she kept Will Reeves as a uh, suspect in the murder of her friend. So what do we know? Let's back up a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about Lady True and, and what do we know about her. We don't find out a whole lot. We find out that she is a trillionaire. She does live in Tulsa, and she is building the giant millennium clock that we glimpsed last episode when Lori was on the plane into Tulsa. She, the, the office she tells the Clarks is... I'm sorry, the opening to what she tells the Clarks is that for the next three minutes, you two are the most important people in the world. So that's a pretty interesting thing. Something else to note about Lady True, when we see, whenever we see her so far, she's been wearing gloves in her hands. What does that mean exactly? We're not quite sure just yet. But usually when a character is walking around wearing gloves, there's a reason why they, we aren't seeing their hands. Or, protect, or why perhaps they are protecting their hands from being able to touch certain things. Not quite sure just yet. Lady True's fortune comes from advanced pharma and biomedical tech. You know, all the, all the big stuff. Which I guess is how she's able to make a baby for these people, seemingly out of nothing. Out of nothing. Now granted, they were at a clinic that she owned, so they did have access to their genetic materials. Presumably she just used that to make a baby for them somehow, some way, with all this advanced pharma and biomedical tech she has access to. Now, as we get to the end of that scene, where... Um, the object is crashing through orbit into Tulsa. One of the characters asks, what is that? And Lady True's response is, that is mine. The classic response of the billionaire. That's mine. So again, we see that 40 acres of land developed into what we've seen before in episodes, which is that downtown Tulsa area. This is where we catch up with Angela, and she is, is going through the process of destroying evidence of Will being in her bakery slash hideout. Uh, she's wiping prints, she's, she's cleaning things, removing all traces of them there. The eggs that he had when he was uh, attempting to, to, to feed himself while waiting for Angela to come back. Again, eggs coming back into play here. Uh, she finds the note, the letter uh, that Will carries with him, the one that says, you know, uh, watch out for this boy, watch over this boy. And it's written on the back of that letter that we addressed that's um, from the German high command to the soldiers of World War I. Accidentally, get, she catches on fire when she gets uh, surprised by a phone call, again, from the Greenwood Cultural Center, calling to announce that there's another uh, branch on her family tree has been discovered. It's interesting that Angela's, hiding, uh, that, that Angela's going through the process of hiding that Will was there. She is destroying his wheelchair and all these things. Um, 
you know, it shows that Angela's smart enough to realize that something's going on and she needs to, she needs to cover up her participation in, in, in whatever kind of connection she seems to have to Will. She seems to recognize that he is involved in something more uh, larger than she is, obviously. I mean, he was whisked away by, by well, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later too because we had now have a little bit of a better answer on what he was whisked away by. While we didn't mention it at the beginning of the show today, uh, what, what, one of the, big, the biggest themes throughout this episode was that of legacy. Lady True uses, uses legacy against the Clarks in her negotiations with their, with, for, their, for their property. You know, the, you know, the Clarks' biggest reason for not trying, wanting to sell their land to Lady True is that they believe that their house has, has been, it, the house has been in their family for generations. It's their legacy. But without a child, they're going to have no legacy so Lady True says, legacy is blood. That theme carries throughout this show. That feeds next into what Angela does after she gets that phone call from the cultural center. So she blatantly abuses her police authority by breaking into the cultural center uh, so that she can further examine the, the DNA information that she now has available to her through the cultural center's le- uh, research. What we get is she goes to the same computer terminal that she had access to before, and she wants to see her family tree. They imprint um, the, the information on what appears to be an acorn. So what you do next is you go to the little atrium area of the, of, the, of the cultural center. You drop in that acorn, and a virtual family tree grows out of it. It's an interactive kind of VR... VR I'm sorry, it's an interactive virtual reality kind of interface where the tree pops up, and you... you push it, and you get information about the family members in your tree. So now her tree has been altered because uh, Will's now in, this, in that system. So that branch of the family is now opened up. We get to see that Will is connected to Angela by her father. So that's his father's, that is Angela's father's father. And she's able to kind of play out and see a little bit of the history, like what happened to Will when he was a boy. And learn, you know, his connection to the, the Tulsa, the Greenwood Massacre. And she, she tells a hologram of a little, of a young Will to get the fuck out of her life, which is pretty hilarious to watch. So what happens next is this dovetails into the end of last episode. While in the cultural center, Angela hears a loud crash and she runs out to investigate what it is. Now it's important to note that Angela isn't in her sister night, uh, uniform, costume at this point. She is in disguise. She's not out and about on her own. So costumed up, she runs out to investigate what the crash was, and she comes to she comes across a maniacally laughing Laurie Blake, which is exactly how we left the episode. And Laurie pulls her gun on Sister Knight, and we have a nice little confrontation there before they kind of agree that this is weird and let's check it out. Um, the car alarm's going off from the, from the plummet to the earth, and Angela just goes smoothly, walks over, reaches underneath the, the driver's side um, wheel well, and, and pulls out a uh, backup alarm and clicks it all off. So clearly, we know that that is indeed Angela's car from the end of, gosh, what was that at the end of? Episode two, which seems to dismay Lori for a half a second before she's like, this makes much more sense than my notion that Dr. Manhattan is throwing cars at me from Mars. So Lori buys into that more plausible scenario much more quickly than, than I, was, I was afraid they would let her. Sister Knight goes into her car 
and begins looking around. She said it was, you know, she tells Lori that it was reported stolen. And Sister Knight calls the Tulsa Police Department to report it's been found and that she's going to need a tow truck. Meanwhile, she's looking inside for any kind of evidence of anything. And what she finds inside the glove box, she keeps it from Lori. She doesn't say anything about it. She sees this in there, quickly closes the glove box before Lori can see what she's doing. But she finds a vial of pills that apparently Will's left in there for her. We, what are these pills? We don't know. We're not sure. Another mystery added to the Watchmen mystery cake. Cake. Another recurring theme, especially when it comes to Ozymandias. Mmm, cake. Anyway, so Angela goes home and... You know, she's, you know, she, again, she's home late. She's been out. This, this is all, remember, this is all shortly after the incident, the, the terror, the, the seventh cab attack at the cemetery. So this is probably her first time seeing her family since that all went down. Everyone's asleep, basically, but she's, she's able to go into her son's room, Topher, and, and, uh, she sleeps on the bottom bunk bed with, you know, and they have a nice little chit chat. It's pretty, pretty cool. What's fun is the next, or what's interesting that the next morning is we get a, a, a scene where, uh, Topher's teasing his two sisters about the afterlife, and 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 Cal, Cal, her husband, you know, Angela's husband, comes over and kind of gives a very honest and real breakdown to young children about um, heaven's made up; it's not a real place. This feel this we find out later on that one of the reasons why Calvin believes this is not just because he believes it; it's because he hates lying. Cal hates lying, and he doesn't want to lie to children either. So. That's an interesting um, childhood for these kids to have because obviously Santa Claus is not coming around either. But, uh, yeah, it, I, it, again, there's, you know, I, I try not to speculate, but there, I'm convinced there's more for Calvin to be doing on this show. Uh, he's an interesting character that we haven't gotten much of a glimpse of just yet. Now, one of the other mysteries we have not been able to solve just yet or has not been revealed to us as an audience just yet is the night... The night of the White Knight, when the police were attacked by the 7th Cavalry members and Angela was, was attacked in her home, we don't see who saves her from the second attacker in the house. Is that Cal? You know, is it one of the other police officers? That's not really been shown to us yet, so I, I, I think there's more to Cal's backstory that we haven't gotten just yet. But it's interesting. I, I thought that uh, this kind of, not revelation, but, uh, but being, being shown that he's a man of honesty and integrity... Uh, is going to play out later on in the in the show. All right, so Angela's back onto the mystery. She's out in the world. She's gonna she goes by Looking Glass's house. Surprise, surprise! Looking Glass has a bomb shelter. Not not too big of a surprise there. Uh, and he's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. He is um, very interested in the 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 raining squid. Now we haven't seen it rain squid since episode one, but. Uh, Looking Glass is a character who seems to have some kind of fascination slash uh, concern that there's dimensional breaches occurring and squid rain down from the sky and then die 30 seconds after they hit the, hit the, hit the pavement. Uh, this is something that he is investigating on his own. He has, in his bomb shelter, it's a bit of a, a black room as well where he's developing f- uh, pictures that he takes when the storms occur. So he has pictures of like this little squid babies that, that fall out of the sky and it's kind of like his his pet project, I suppose. Now, the teaser for the next episode looks like we're going to get a, little bit, a bit more uh, information on just who Looking Glass is, kind of, not necessarily maybe his origin story, but more of like kind of his psychology, which I think will be very, very interesting because he is one of those characters who's just moves around the background 
uh, of this show, and, you, and you're just, just fascinated by him. So whenever he's on screen, he catches your attention. So Angela is in this bunker, and she is going to ask Looking Glass for a couple favors. The first favor is that she needs Looking Glass to hang on to, to the item that she found in Crawford's closet. We haven't said what that is on this show, so hopefully you know what it is. But she needs Angela, I'm sorry, Angela needs Looking Glass to hold on to it in case Lori ends up snooping around more. Because uh, by this point, it's pretty obvious that Lori um, is very curious slash interested slash suspicious of Angela at this point. So Angela, being proactive, decides to get rid of the items that she found, puts them in Looking Glass's capable hands. And she also takes the pills from her car that Will left there for her gives them to him, because apparently Looking Glass's ex is some kind of pharmacist or drug rep or something. We're not quite sure exactly, but she's going to have uh, a base of knowledge to explain what these pills are, what they might be kind of situation. And again, I think this will play out more into the next episode when, we're, when we follow Looking Glass a little bit more. So uh, interesting developments there, and a little bit of a tease for what's going to be coming on the next show. All right, so now you move on to an extremely interesting scene. For the film, for, I'm sorry, for in this episode of the show. Sister Knight, back in costume, is still disposing of the evidence from, from Will being in her uh, bakery slash hideout. And she has a duffel bag where she's broken down the, the pieces of Will's wheelchair. So she goes, parks her car, goes, throws it over a bridge onto a moving truck full of, you know, not a garbage truck, but a, a trash hauler kind of, kind of vehicle. She goes to walk back to her car stops, feels eyes on her, looks over her shoulder, and sees a, a very skinny man in an entirely silver superhero-esque costume staring at her. It's an entirely silver costume, head to toe, face included, covered in, in, in a silver outfit. He has a little, I wouldn't even call it a utility belt, but it's a little waist belt that has little bottles of what look like water on it. Sister Knight does not take too kindly to being watched, so she pursues this man in a, in a costume across town. And while almost catching him, he reaches in and grabs these so-called bottles, these, these alleged bottles of water, and douses himself with them, where he then proceeds to slide across the street on his back and into a sewer. So it's uh, into a very small sewer in which Angela cannot pursue. To which she yells out, What the fuck? Which I think a lot of us were saying, like, what the fuck just happened there? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, th- th- this guy uh, gets dubbed by, by, uh, by Big Red as, uh, as Lube Man, which is hilarious. Um, but it makes you wonder, what the heck's going on here? We have another possibly superhero sighting. Um, but who is this person? Why... Does no one seem to know who this is? Who could this be? Uh, is there a connection uh, to Lori? Does Lori have, uh, you know, kind of like eyes on the streets, possibly from, you know, small-time superheroes that she has, like, on the payroll or something like that? Maybe there's something there, or maybe it's something else, something more nefarious, because we're going to get into the conspiracy soon. But, yeah, a, a pretty wild scene. Uh, as we're coming, as Laura, as Angela in her still in Sister Night outfit comes into the police station, she runs into Senator Keene, who uh, still coming to is, again. This is all fresh from the from the cemetery attack. 
you know, Senator Keene still has the blood in his collar. Uh, and he, he, he makes no, no pretenses of, of knowing that, or of pretending that Sister Knight is not Angela. He knows. And he, you know, I don't think Angela's stoked on that. <laughs> While in the police station, we find that Lori set up shop in, the, in, in an office and seems to be running the show now with the, with the Tulsa Police Department. And she has information for Angela about her car. And they found the prints of Mr. Will Reeves on her car. You get a little bit more background information about Will, that he was a New York cop in the 1940s and 50s and then went off the grid suddenly. Then Petey comes in with a little bit more information. And suddenly, Petey, Lori, and Sister Knight are off together to the Millennium Clock. And that's where you get that great exchange from Lori and Sister Knight that we open the show with. Um, again, we get a little bit more pulling back of, of what's going on here. You know, they're going out to the construction of the Millennium Clock, uh, Lady True's, you know, massive project in the middle of Tulsa. And we understand, we're told that Tulsa was chosen for a specific reason. Mostly, it's painted so that it sounds like it is, so that it, Tulsa was chosen so that it can, because it can withstand uh, many different kinds of natural disasters. You know, there's no, uh, there's not intense geological issues there. There's going to be no earthquakes. It's not going to crumble and fall into the sea. Um, I don't know if they accounted for tornadoes and such, but supposedly the the, the Millennium Clock wouldn't complete it. Will be will be sturdy enough to survive anything short of a nuclear blast. Which that's an interesting <laughs> little cue right there. So here's where things get a little interesting again as well. With the, you know at the at the Millennium Clock facility, one of the first things we see is. Uh, Sister Knight, Petey, and Lori, uh, near there with a technician who is remote controlling this large drone esque. <clears throat> is using your, is is remote controlling a large drone like uh, craft, and it emits these these large crafts hover. They emit the same sort of sound that we heard at the end of episode two, and they have gigantic magnets. They're being used for the construction of the millennium clock they they are they're raising parts up to the altitudes up to up to the you know the many levels of the of the of this clock tower structure this is seemingly what was used to lift uh angela's car and liberate will from her uh, I, i'll use the word captivity even though it's not necessarily correct um but yeah, it, these appear to be what was used to pick her car up and then later on to drop her car back down in Tulsa. This is where we are formally introduced to Lady True's daughter, Bien. Now, we caught a glimpse of Bien in the opening scene. She's holding the baby at the door of the Clark farm. She hands the baby to her mother. It doesn't look as if Bien is aging, or if she is, she's aging very, very Slowly. So again, another little bit of a mystery happening there. Uh, Bien is is a young girl. She is you know possibly a teenager, but you know not much more than that. And again, to see her in a scene that's set you know at least a year, maybe more prior to the events of the series, um, shows us that we're starting to play with like some linear issues here. And again, we'll talk about linear issues momentarily as well. So Lori and Angela meet with Lady True in the Millennium Clock. She has like a, I forget what the, it's not, it's like an arboretum kind of situation. It's a beautiful garden. 
the interesting part to take from this this section of the of the show is we uh, we we learned that Lady True and Angela both are from Vietnam, so they have a little private exchange with each other in Vietnam where they're pretending to be giving each other, you know, uh, old old expressions of condolence in in Vietnamese, uh, but they're actually just having a conversation about Will and. Lady True tells Angela in Vietnamese that Will wants to know if she got the pills. To which Angela responds in Vietnamese that the old fucker can ask her himself, which is <laughs> pretty good. Now, in this garden area here at the, at the Millennium Clock, we see that Lady True has a statue of Adrian Veidt in his Ozymandias costume. Now the statue is interesting for the for the its depiction of of Vite as an old man, as basically as Jeremy Irons, as we see him on the show. Um, now True claims that's because in her culture the old older older generation is revered for their wisdom and stuff like that. So while Lori is more surprised that, that it's not a younger version because this is America and you know youth and beauty is what is what is valued here. Now, the, the, the Vietnam connection coming up again is interesting because uh, readers of the graphic novel are probably familiar with the fact that in the comic, there, a significant amount of information is given to us uh, from Dr. Manhattan and the comedian being actively involved in the Vietnam War in the comic books. And basically, the USA kind of takes over Vietnam because of the comedian and Dr. Manhattan's uh, inter- in- incursion with the United States Army. The USA wins, and they win easily. And so Vietnam is, is, is basically a, you know, a state of the United States in, in this 1980... I'm sorry, the comic book was 1985. This is 2019. So Vietnam is basically part of the country at this point in the show, in this alternate earth that, we, we, that the show exists on. That's an important detail to remember, I think. I think it's going to come into play a little bit later. And again, that's the kind of detail that uh, I think you get from somebody like Damon Lindelof, who is such a fan of the series. Uh, trying to pull these these threads together because, you know, the the main story in Watchmen is 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 so engrossing, but there's so many layers to it, you know, and and you know, pulling on that Vietnam thread from the comic book can take us to some interesting places. You know, we know the comedian was there, we know Doctor Manhattan was there. Does this have anything to do with Lady True? Is there a connection there? Um, there there's a scene later in the show. In, the, in this episode where uh, Bian comes to her mother with uh, a nightmare of, of men coming to her village and burning it and then having to be, then being put on a march and, you know, the girl's feet still hurt from the march even if though it's not a dream. And, uh, you know, very famously, if you remember the film, even more so than the comic, you remember that shot of Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the comedian with the flamethrower just, in, you know, just killing people. Perhaps they're alluding to the fact that maybe the comedian was responsible for these things. I don't know. Again, that's speculation. That's wildness. But there's there's going to be a connection there, something to kind of get into. Uh, I, I'd be a little surprised if there wasn't more meat on that bone. Again, interesting connections uh, happening all over the series so far. And that statue of, of Adrian leads us to Adrian's portion of the show, uh, where we see Adrian back on the game preserve. He's in a boat, like a little dinghy kind of boat. Uh, and he's... Uh, fishing. It looks like he has like lobster traps almost. But instead of pulling lobsters out of this like pond or lake that he's in, 
he's pulling out babies. There's babies in there. He's examining them. And then if he doesn't like the way they look, he throws them back into the water. And he keeps the ones that he needs. So he has two babies. He takes them back to one of his, one of his uh, labs, I guess you could say. And he puts them in a, spe- in a special chamber that accelerates their growth. And that's how we get the Mr. Phillipses and the Mrs. Cruikshanks. They are harvested from this lake. Now, again, we've seen that Lady True has an ability to create babies seemingly out of nowhere. Is she the one who's keeping Adrian captive? Possibly. I think a lot of Red Herrings have directed us at, at Dr. Manhattan, perhaps. But perhaps it's Lady True instead. But again, we don't know. There's, just, there's, there's not enough to go on. But we do get a lot more information. One of those pieces of information is that Adrian tells Cruikshank and Phillips before they're able to, to vocalize for themselves. He's talking to them, kind of showing them the ropes a little bit of, of life at the manor, working for the great Adrian Veidt. Veet. I, I say it wrong all the time. I apologize. And uh, one of the things he says is, you know, I am not your creator because I don't create flawed things. And that's an interesting thing. So we, we realize that's part of whatever preserve he is in. You know, that was not something that he did, despite the fact that we know Ozymandias to be a manipulator of genetics. That's not one of his, this wasn't one of his calling cards. He did not make these people. He just takes advantage of them, which is part, probably part of the reason why he's able to dispose of them so easily because he, value, he, he sees them as flawed, as not a perfect creation. So they're not his creation, so why, take, why, why treat them with any sort of, of, of humanity? The new Cruikshank and Phillips are greeted uh, in the manner to a room full of the murdered bodies of their predecessors, to which Ozymandias said he had a bad night. And again, like I said, this room is just littered with corpses of Mr. Phillips's and Mrs. Cruikshanks. But they play a vital role moving forward with Adrian's arc in the story here, or with Adrian's role on this particular episode. They use the bodies. Um, they place the bodies in a catapult and launch them beyond the edge of whatever this, this game preserve is, this jail, as Adrian finally calls it in this episode. Because Adrian is definitely planning his escape. And so what he, he appears to be looking at the distance that it takes to leave the edges of the preserve via catapult. So it looks like Adrian's plan is now to launch himself beyond this preserve. Does that mean he's launching himself into space? That seems the most likely scenario. But we do, again, we don't really have any evidence of that. He could just be in some kind of pocket dimension and just show up in the middle of Tulsa. We're not quite sure. One of the things that's interesting, we talked about a little bit of some of the linear things that are starting to develop on this show. It's becoming a very real possibility that uh, Adrian's story is not sequential with the rest of the series. Um, we get at, he tells us that it's been four years since he's been there. Now, the timeline that we know through the, through the PD, PDpedia available on, on HBO's website is that Adrian goes missing in 2012. Lady True buys the company shortly thereafter. It's official in 2015. Adrian is declared dead in 2019. And I'm sorry, and I think in 2017, Lady True officially takes over the company. The sale finally goes through. Adrian thinks he's only been there for four years. How does this shake out and how is this going to play out? We're not quite sure just yet. Again, is, is, is that Adrian, you know, is that him plummeting to the middle of the earth in, in the opening of this episode? Is he at the base of the Millennium Clock? Um... 
it's 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 insanely hard to say, but we have what we have to remember about Adrian. Remember, the only superpower that the Watchmen Doctor Manhattan was the only superpowered character. If Do- if anybody else had a superpower, it is Adrian because he is super intelligent. His smarts, his cleverness, that's what separated him from the rest of everybody else. Is Lady True this kind of character? Is she hyper intelligent, super smart, ahead of the curve, ahead of humanity? as far as, as choosing the path, is she following in Adrian's footsteps? Is she trying to follow in Adrian's footsteps for the next generation? Is, you know, is, she doing, attempting, is she attempting her own version of his grand plan from 1985? Um, so many different things to, to ponder with that in that relationship. And um, it's, it's interesting to, again, we could speculate about it all day, but clearly... You know that that theme of legacy comes into play here too. Like, what is what is Adrian's legacy to the world? Is it what he did in 1985, or does he have more to give, or is his legacy going to be Lady True in her next awful thing that she does in the name of saving humanity? Um, again, again, there's so much richness here, and and going back to that that legacy theme, the show wraps up that that scene that I mentioned before with Bien, uh, D- uh, Lady True's daughter. Um, she comes into a room. Where Lady, where Lady True is at, and as she leaves, as Lady True sends her away, we see that Lady True is with Will Reeves. And we get very, very important information that whatever is going to happen is going to happen in three days. And she, Lady True is very concerned that Will is going to back out and that he's not going to go through with whatever his role is in things going forward. To which Will stands up and begins to walk. And he walks over to the little outside area where he can look up through the window, the windows of the atrium and stare at the millennium clock. And Will, it rather hauntingly gives us tick-tock, tick-tock. So things are definitely afoot here uh, in Tulsa with the episodes of The Watchmen. Again, legacy coming into play big time on this episode. Uh, if you guys haven't watched the episode yet, or if you did watch it, kind of, you know, if, if you hadn't thought about it yet, think think back on it. It's um, very uh, a very strong theme in this episode, and it probably it, a, a little bit of every episode so far. This is probably the the biggest episode where legacy is your is your is your theme, and they kind of hit you over the head with it right at the beginning. But I think that's because they want you to really pay attention to it on this one. Uh, it's a great episode. They it, the show is. The pacing of the show kind of slowed down a little bit this week, which was interesting. But there's a lot of information again. You know, we're, we're some mysteries got explained a little bit more. Some kind of got put to the side, and then new ones came on top of it. Like again, like Lube Man. Who the hell is Lube Man? Like what's going on there? Uh, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride. Like I said, this is episode four, which means five, six. Seven, eight, nine. That's five more to go, baby. We got five episodes left in this season of The Watchmen. Now, whether The Watchmen is going to be a continuing series, I, I, I don't know. It seems like this may be a one-off kind of series. That's some, some of the interviews I've read with Lindelof sounds like. But, um, I mean, I hope it's not because this is so good. But it, this may be one of those shows where if, if they do bring it back, it might be one of those things where it's like years before we see another season because this one has so far been uh, meticulously plotted and um, meticulously acted and the details in it and, and the, the strong connections, the homages to the, the, the graphic novel are so 
off 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 the charts, out of bounds, so good, so strong. I can't I can't uh, I can't talk about the show enough. I'm trying very very hard to get my brother to watch the show um, because despite the fact that he kind of takes Alan Moore's side on things, where it's like, well, if Alan Moore doesn't care, then why should I? Um, I think he should care. It's a damn good show, and I think other I think a lot of people are starting to realize that too. Ah, great episode. Uh, again, if I, you know, I haven't been rating the episodes as we go because, uh, you know, the way I look at it is it, it's all one story. This particular chapter reads a little slower than, than the previous ones, but that doesn't make it any less entertaining, any less exciting. Great information here. Um, and again, we know that next week's episode is going to be a, about Looking Glass, and that's a character that I'm really, really looking forward to learn more about, and especially his kind of uh, concerns slash fears with... with interdimensional breaches <laughs> it could be a good one and i think i think uh i think tim blake nelson's gonna stand on his head like he like he's been known to do on occasion um and i think with that i'm gonna wrap up the show uh because gosh i think i got everything that i wanted to talk about let me kind of pull back over my notes here yeah legacy i mentioned the part about things of things fall apart the chinua chubi achibe uh quote the open the, that the title the show's named after Oh, man, there's good stuff. There's good stuff here. Uh, so, yeah, with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 52 of, of TomCast. The TomCast, I'm sorry. With that, I'm going to wrap up episode 52 of the TomCast podcast. But we're going to be back this week with episode 53 right away because guess what happens on November 12th? That's right. The thing we've been talking about pretty much all, all, all year. Disney Plus is dropping and we're going to review the first episode of, of The Mandalorian because uh, I think The Mandalorian might be the show I've waited my entire life for. I've had a lifelong obsession with Boba Fett, and we will <laughs> dive into that more on that episode. But that will be later this week. I am optimistic I'll have it uh, recorded Wednesday. And if not out Wednesday night, then, then out Thursday morning for you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I want to thank our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody and Brian Broussard. Thank you guys so much for, for being uh, members of Pophead Nation. Uh, the show uh, lives because uh, awesome guys like you support it and listen to it and, 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 and keep me fired up and wanting to do it forever and ever and ever. So with that... Oh, sorry. One more thing to think about real quick. Um, going back to the Millennium Clock. Something else interesting is when Lori and Sister Knight are going to the Millennium Clock and uh, Lady True's daughter, BN, is escorting them to the atrium and they refer she uh, bien refers particularly to the specific bien specifically refers to the millennium clock as the first wonder of the new world which to us comic book fans and, and genre fans in particular sounds quite ominous we'll see where that goes we'll see if we get more clues about what that all means there you go one more thing to think about today all right let's wrap it up Follow us again on the social medias if you feel like it. If you can, that'd be great. Love to hear from you on them. At Twitter, it is at TomCast underscore PopCast. And at Instagram, it is at the TomCast underscore PopCast. Send us an email at TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in becoming a member of Pophead Nation, head over to Patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. All right, that's it for now. We're going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Keep watching The Watchmen. Ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year! <laughs> 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 <laughs>